0: Hello and welcome back to series two of So Hot Right Now. I'm Tom Mustel and I make films about wildlife and science. And I'm Sam Lee. I sing
1: folk songs and tell stories.
0: Together, we're going to be talking all about the climate and nature
1: crises. And about how we can communicate them. Our mission is to energise and inspire you, our audience. So we can all in some form help prevent this wonderful planet of ours from becoming unlivable. And this series of So Hot right now is very kindly sponsored by One Earth, an organisation working to accelerate collective action to limit global average temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius through three key transitions shifting to 100% renewable energy protection and restoration of nature and regenerative agriculture. This This is is So Hot Right Now. Now. Welcome to episode six. Seasons greetings, everyone, and welcome to So Hot Right Now, your favourite podcast on environmental storytelling, conversations, and we have a very special episode for you to cap
2: 2021. And also... Very excitingly, we have joining us today... Lucy Siegel, occasional cast member, of so hot right now, back for the holidays.
0: I'd say founder and Big Dog being granted a brief reprieve from her many other Big Dog activities in the nature and climate sphere.
2: I love the fact that now I'm not a regular cast member, I get such a massive intro every time, it's so good for <laughs> yeah, my you've ego. you've earned
1: it, Lucy. Which
2: is by contrast to some of our guests who have little ego in this special issue. Yes, great link. Great link.
1: Ah, and you're all wondering who are our special (laughs) guests? And we went really to town on this one. Obviously this series is all about bringing voices from people you don't usually hear in the environmental movement. And we have for you good listeners, Buddhist monks. We have brother embrace and brother spirit bringing seasonal wisdom to you for your Christmas.
0: And as well as the monks, we also have festive presents for you. We have asked all of the people that we interviewed this year a few special questions. And we're going to be wrapping them up under the Christmas tree or stuffing them in your stocking or however you'd like to appreciate them for you later.
2: So it's like eternal wisdom. It
1: totally is.
2: All year round wisdom. That's this episode.
0: Yeah. Buckle up. (laughs)
2: Lotus up.
0: (laughs) Buckle that lotus in and get ready for some Zen wisdom. It's Christmas. And this is so hot right now.
3: My name is Brother Spirit. And my name is Brother Embrace, Brother Fab We are
4: monks from Plum Village Monastery. That's our root monastery. So we're students of Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh.
3: And you've come from France.
4: That's right. Well, actually I've come from France and my elder and I brother-
3: I come from a monastery, Deer Park Monastery in San Diego, California uh... in the US, yeah. I'd
0: never met a monk before, but I didn't realize monks hugged so much. <laughs> uh, and you can't see listeners, but these monks are hugging each other relatively often as we're yeah. speaking. Is that fair? Uh,
3: yeah, why yeah. not? Yeah, yeah sure. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we learn that we need that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, ways of our culture, we've lost that and we're afraid of that. And especially after a year and a half of uh, a pandemic, mm-hmm. we've seen people need that. So I've been going around the cup and, you know, people who are open to it, we hug them, and really, we, you can feel their body relaxing. Mm.
1: It's just amazing the importance of the human connection, that physicality, that tactileness, and how much we've lost it as a culture, in Western culture, that fear of the intimacy, and what happens when that boundary is broken and, mm. and that
4: connection is made. Yes. Well, we have a little example of that, which, yeah, was sort of a pivotal moment for us. We were invited into a closed room sort of briefing between some very high-level folks, you know, at the COP. And it was a bit odd that we were there, a couple of Zen monks thrown into this gathering. But we were invited to open the session by uh, helping everyone to get in touch with their breathing, just to sort of calm them down, help them to relax so they can be more present for each other to listen. Is right at the beginning of this session, which is essentially a very intense grilling of these two UN representatives who sort of, yeah, who represent all these different constituencies. So they were the, the UN champions who are kind of inviting all of these folks to okay, come and critique our program, our policies, and you know, give us all your feedback. But then it ends up being very negative.
3: Yeah, it made people kind of, you know, it's like everyone in the room feels separate and tight. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, so at the end, we were not really invited to do anything. We were supposed to sit quietly like, you know, (laughs) good little monks and, you know, go home. But instead, we took a bit of a risk and I joined my palms together and I bowed and I asked the room permission to do something crazy. I said, I'm sorry, it's a little unusual. But actually, because of what we know about the human nervous system, we know that there are some very simple things that we can do that calm us, mm-hmm. you know, that make us feel connected exactly like you were saying. And there's you know there's plenty of scientific evidence that just holding hands, holding somebody's hand, especially someone you trust and someone you love, actually soothes the whole nervous system. And if you're holding something painful, something difficult, it makes it easier. It doesn't solve the problem, but at least you're not overwhelmed by the stress response, by the kind of fight or flight response. So I just invited everyone to reach out left and right and hold hands with their neighbour. Yeah. yeah.
3: At first there was resistance, and that was built up from the discussion, right? But as soon as they held hands, oh. we guided them to touch the connection. We are there, we have love, we have mm. care. And so it's just a reminder that yeah. we're all doing the same thing. And that we're allies, you know?
4: Yes. and friends even.
1: It feels like such an analogy of what is happening in the world, mm. that yes. we are finding excuses to not connect, to not soothe ourselves, to do what is best for us. And yet, when we break through all those self-imposed boundaries Mm -hmm. and resistances, we can have such a
4: happier way of being. And we have such resources, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, for us, I've been referring to this as the kind of spiritual technology, you know, of handling stress, Mm -hmm. handling pain, handling overwhelm, handling the trauma response to the situation we're in, individually, and collectively. So it's one thing to take on the whole burden individually, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed. But the amazing thing is we're social animals, Mm -hmm. you know, and we we know how to soothe each other, how to help each other.
3: But it's missing from this kind of uh, approach at the COP. The mind, the Mm -hmm. solving solution is very disconnected to the body. Mm -hmm. It's also, we have to look at our cultural change as well, how we feed one another, how we approach. Mm -hmm. So it's also not just a practical taking care of our emotion, our body but it's also a view of how we look at our human behavior as well as our relationship with nature.
0: Yes, which is a story because I guess that's Mm. the other thing. A lot of this people are talking, they use words like I think this, "We should do this rather than I'm feeling Mm. this. How do you think we can start to address the stories that we tell and the separation that we feel from each other when we tell those stories? And for people working in nature and climate who are worried about these big problems, where do you think we can improve and help each other in our narratives?
4: Well, I think there's several levels at which we can look at that. So in terms of this kind of separating the head from the body i think we're doing it as individuals Mm -hmm. especially in these spaces where we have to sort of put on a professional Mm. guise yes and we heard from somebody directly this morning you know in our sitting meditation circle afterwards he was very emotional he had tears in his eyes but he sort of was trying to put himself back together and he said oh okay now i have to you know go and run all these meetings Mm -hmm. and i can't show any emotion and i really took him aside and i just said look i'm not sure if that's the best approach, maybe, you know, I wanna share with you that maybe it would be better Mm -hmm. if you did show your vulnerability, if Mm -hmm. you were there with a tear in your eye. Mm -hmm. Because actually, the only way that we create trust amongst each Mm -hmm. other, and that's what's needed in all of these meetings, is trust and Mm -hmm. listening, it's understanding, the only way we can do that is by feeling each other's feelings. And the only place I can feel your feelings is in my body. We resonate with each other. And, and if you
0: have like the armor that you feel you have right. to place on yourself to protect yourself, exactly, you're both going to be, other yeah. people won't be able to sense you, yeah. and you won't be able to sense them. Exactly. And
3: people will not be very open. Mm-hmm. You know, people, they demand to be heard, but actually it's, they also need to learn how to listen. Mm-hmm. So if you come with this intensity and you don't know how to feel, then it's very hard to be open. Mm-hmm. And that's what we feel in some of these gatherings. You know, it's a little bit of disconnect in that sense
0: people are bringing lots of demands. Yeah, I am coming to COP and I'm bringing this demand. Right. Very few people are saying, I'm coming
4: to COP to listen. Somebody stopped us in the corridor and actually he said, uh, so what's your business? And we said, well, our business is the business of no business.
5: <laughs> <laughs> but then he, he wasn't satisfied.
4: He said, like, okay, okay, uh, no business. I get it, I get it, okay. But what's your demand? You know?" Yeah. And we said, we have no demand. And he said, oh,
3: okay, no demand, okay. What do you
4: stand for? But what do you stand for? Yeah, it's like,
3: i standing for anything. It's unbelievable. We're, we, we consider ourselves like uh, the off-ramp. Yeah. Like people are like running, rushing. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to think that uh, there's no demand, there's no business. That, so that's the kind of culture that we need to change as well. It's mm-hmm. this way of racing. And, you know, in the cop we're trying to do good, but the actual approach, this is also very important to bring into the picture. Mm. The, the human element.
1: Yeah, and the spiritual element as well, mm. because we're talking about life here mm. and its perpetuation and its flourishing, yet it's being dissected right. into numerics and... Services. Yeah, yeah like exactly. I, I've been thinking sectors. of like, mm. a,
3: it's like accounting work, you know? Yeah, And this exactly. is how we got into this trouble. You know, mm-hmm. it's trying to look at the world and look at nature like that, too, you know, like experiencing the sun as being useful because it gives me vitamin D. Mm-hmm. It's like, can you just enjoy the sun as a, a life element? <laughs> and as, as, you, as say you say that, that
0: the sun <laughs> has just come out. Yeah, it's pleased.
3: happy, you know, it's like, you know, enjoy the sun. It doesn't have to be useful, you yeah. see, so this is the kind of language we need to be here because or else we solve the 1.5 but we will create more problems other place, especially among humans because we don't see that connection that we all have with each other, with the planets mm. and how we behave comes from a, a place of love mm. and not from fear. I remember in our monastery working with young people, I have to train them not to be afraid of nature. You know they're afraid of bushes.
5: Getting dirty. They're afraid of getting dirty. <laughs> yeah. You
3: know it's, yeah. and safety as well. Mm-hmm. Safety and cleanliness. Mm-hmm. That's what we feel about nature. It's dirty. It's dirt, and fear as well. And this is anywhere you know that you feel a little unsafe, you immediately get tense. But it's actually, it's really nice to have that because it keeps you very alive. Now we smell a detergent and cleaning solution. We think, mmm, it's clean. So, it's a changing of consciousness of how we look at nature, how we look at ourselves. Yeah. I sit in the mountain, in the forest, in the dark. Yeah. And then you feel comfortable being in nature, and that really connects you. And then you start to behave differently. So, this is the, the mind change that we also need uh, a reframing of nature. Mm.
4: What we've been observing also. So we see this disconnect of the head from the heart mm-hmm. at the individual level, but also at the collective level. So my sense is that there's a kind of fear operating there as well, that the government maybe right now is afraid of the, the body politic, you know, the body of our society which is actually, you know, when we went out onto the street during the Fridays for Future march, there was so much joy. Yes. There was so much courage. There was so much, of course, there's pain as well. And there's sorrow, but it's translated. It's transformed into this drumming and this music, this movement and all these little babies on people's shoulders. They They feel safe. None of them are
3: afraid. Babies were not crying. Yeah.
4: Yeah. They're all smiling in the midst of this noise (laughs) and chaos. But why, as a society, why, at the level of government, are we afraid of that chaos? Yeah. And somehow in this COP, I think more than in any other COP, we've made this separation gigantic. I mean, the distance at which all those protests are being held, the remove mm-hmm. from the blue zone, which maybe could be likened to the head, you know, right. where it's all of this turned into intellectual yeah. thinking, I think we really miss something there. So I'm thinking more of kind of, maybe we can give some recommendations for the next cop to say, well, look, bring the music in, Mm -hmm. you know, bring the drums in, bring the children in. If you have babies in the plenary sessions, you won't negotiate in the same way.
3: That's so true.
4: You know, you will feel very different.
3: And I remember in families, you know, when the children are in the home, the parents used to say, honey, honey, there's children in the room. So actually, parents, adults, are at their best behavior when they remember the children
0: at that. There. there are mm. children in the room. Yeah, We've
3: been going bad. around asking people mm. what is really in your heart, their real name, not mm. the badge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we got uh, even the, the champions to share us their real names. Mm. And, and I think every one of us, that's like the child. Mm-hmm. That is their love, right? Mm-hmm. That is really what is meaningful to them. Mm. All this stuff, but earthquake, uh, A meteor hit? Yeah. What is the first thing? You will go to your family, the loved one. But the way we now in society have organized our education, our uh, cities, our, you know, the way we live, it's very based on the individual. Mm. You know, it's like to get to a certain age, having moved out of the house, moved out of the neighborhood where your parents come from, is considered, uh, you know, like normal. And abnormal is to stay together. So in our culture, there's already a kind of a, like uh, you know encouragement of going and being on your own and surviving on your own,
0: proving yourself. And, right? Yeah,
3: exactly. So that that has a place to grow and mature, but they've lost the communal aspect, the connection with other human beings. We've found refuge because of community. Yes. You know. So this is a healing aspect of our our growth, as well as the way we are separated from nature. We feel. You know, when we eat, mm-hmm. we are not seeing that that is our communication, our connection to, you know, when you take a broccoli and you're grateful, that is like mm-hmm. connecting with nature. It's not mm-hmm. like nature, forests, clouds, mountains, and beautiful, you know, natural environment, but mm-hmm. it's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Even material things, you know, your jacket, the way we relate to material things as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just romantic nature is in some pristine, you know, lake somewhere. But it's also in how we deal and we value the things we have and know where they come from to look into that. So I try to extend that because I have a spiritual relationship with material. When I hold a bowl, I'm very grateful. So it's another way of connecting. You see, So when you have that gratitude and that connection, the loneliness... So you wake up in the day, you feel connected because Uh everything around you you're grateful for. Mm. Every human being that someone you disagree with, you know, you can see through that and you connect with them underneath. You know, you know that they're here and they all care. That the way they've been educated and so on. But if we get fooled by that, they are our enemy. We gotta go against them, we gotta confront them. Mm. Then we feel a disconnect. So it's also a personal You know, you have to train to see through that. And it's difficult. Because if it touches my emotion, then I see a separation. But if I see underneath that we're all trying to do the same thing,
4: yeah. And I think we have to be careful in that sense of kind of selective interdependence. Yes. Because we all get interdependence, right? Especially those of us who are, you know, environmentally conscious and we know a bit of systems theory and we've studied some biology and of course interdependence great but i want to be interdependent with the beautiful stuff right with the trees and (laughs) it's so nice and i'm all you know with all my friends but it's very hard to feel interdependent with the ceo of you know a giant fossil fuel company you know but we are the truth is that we are interdependent Mm -hmm. with them and if we don't see that then we're part of the same system that's produced the problem uh, you know of these divisions and these separations we're still not seeing the truth you know i feel like we can actually affect the situation by recognizing things at that level but i think there's a bigger narrative also that we've been kind of colonized by especially in the west which is this kind of neo-darwinistic concept of the Nature, red in tooth and claw, and, and basically individual selection, individuals competing. A kind of
0: zero-sum game. Exactly. The success must come at the cost of another. One exactly. must compete to succeed. Yeah,
4: for resources, for mates, to for win. whatever, reproductive success. Yeah. Exactly, you've got to win. And, and that's mirrored yeah. in our economy. Yeah. And it's even thought to, to be... Yeah, in our, school, yeah, in our mm. schooling. And it's thought to be the thing that produces innovation and even value, Mm -hmm. right? That value and innovation comes by making companies compete against each other. That justice in our justice system emerges from two parties fighting each other. You you have to have a fight between two parties to get to the truth. I mean, are we sure about that? Mm -hmm. Is that actually true? So what I'm really interested in is the new science, in fact, not that new, it's been around, even Darwin saw it, of multi-level selection theory in which we, see that actually social animals, a group that cooperates mm-hmm. will outcompete a, a group that is fractured and that is, you know, made up of more selfish, competitive mm-hmm. individuals. Yes. And that's our nature. Yes. We are profoundly social beings. And so actually we've evolved to cooperate. We've evolved to trust. We've evolved to love. Reciprocity.
1: You know? yeah.
4: Exactly, and that's our nature. Of course, competition is also part of our nature. So it's not to deny that. Mm. But to really start to tell a new story of who we are, because that can inform bigger social narratives, it can transform our way of understanding the economy, it can transform our way of understanding business, of progress, of innovation. But I believe that like the way to start to seed this, I see such potential for a complete revolution of our cultural norms and values. But I think The way to bring it in, of course I mean science is doing its work, but I I have a lot of trust in music, in in song, in fiction even, in in film, and there are so many ways we can start to tell these new stories and I'm waiting for, you know, the big blockbuster movie that actually shows us interdependence in this light, you know, that shows us people. I'm told not to Spielberg being Spielberg is
1: making it right now, yeah. and I'm not joking. About no. No. Really, really, yeah. about this is it. Trees. Ye- really, <sighs> this Finally. is inside knowledge. Okay, there's another
3: element with this, with the interdependence, mm, to also see that we do have both nature in us, mm-hmm. to be selfish and to be cooperative, and that we must learn to live with the contradiction. And what that is, when we realize that we can hold contradiction within ourselves, mm-hmm. it humbles us. Mm-hmm. That's what spirituality is, is to be humble and to apologize when we make a mistake, to have our civilization realize, oh, but the reason why it's going in this direction, whether it's all stuck, I sense is because as a group, the cop, hasn't felt it enough so that they are humbled. Mm. you know. So they're trying to beat it again and solve it again. There's a lot of that energy. Yeah. Mm. Everywhere I'm going, it's like, it's very arrogant. Yeah. And it's hard to yeah. listen to one another if we use that model. So for me, we haven't really heard and healed. And then it, it makes us come from a more humble space. We're so fearful of being rumbled. Mm. Really, we exactly. should be. You should be humbled. Oh, <laughs> oh that is okay. the line right there. Got it. You got it. <laughs> oh, man,
0: you got it. You're like, you're...
1: Can I join?
3: We're the next,
0: man. It is a... But so much of this seems to come back to this idea of the self. So many of the people we've interviewed here, when we say, like, how do you recharge? What has helped you in your work? They come back to interrelatedness. Mm. Nobody has said, I come back to realizing I'm the only person who can solve this problem. (laughs) They all say, (laughs) it's when I remember this is bigger than me.
3: Mm. And it's
0: not just me. And I'm connected. But why do we forget this all the time? Well, I think we
4: have to make it practical as well. We have to. It's not just kind of Uh, an idea. Yeah, woo woo mysticism. It has to be very concrete and it has to become a habit. Yeah. So we need practices that are interspersed throughout our day that help us to tap to into this us. this level of our awareness because it's like an insight that we may have touched at some point very profoundly you know maybe you have some magical mystical moment on the peak of a mountain when you suddenly realize that all is one and ah, i am the earth and the earth is me and of course we all have moments like that and that's wonderful but it's not enough just to have that insight once we have to be able to activate that insight in our daily life in every moment. So we have, you know, in our tradition, I feel so lucky that our teacher has handed down to us these ancient practices that come from generation after generation of our spiritual ancestors. So to give you an example, you know, one would be as I'm standing here right now to remember that I am not just me, I am also my mother. I am my father, I am all my ancestors, not just blood ancestors, or not just human ancestors, but stretching all the way back to non-human persons. And I am not just my blood ancestors, but I am my spiritual ancestors. And I can call upon them when I need them in a moment of difficulty, even in a meeting. If I have to give a talk, I invite my teacher. I say, okay, please, will you be here for me? And he is there for me. And not just him, but the whole lineage stretching all the way back. And not just, you know, yeah, blood ancestors, spiritual ancestors, land, the land, the trees that have protected me and nourished me, those moments in my childhood when I felt alone and I was able to climb a tree and put my arms around it and something was touched in me and kept alive, that little flame of love and hope was somehow, you know, a bird sang and and I knew that there was still goodness and beauty in the world. And that bird is still with me and I can call upon it for courage, for hope, for connection. I can feel connected and not alone, even when I'm alone. Mm -hmm. You know, and we can do that when we, like my elder brother was saying, when we eat a piece of broccoli, that's also a a way to, to practice transforming our view of separateness. You put that broccoli in your mouth and instead of just, you know, looking at your cell phone, and reading the news, you actually take a moment to first recognize I am putting a piece of broccoli in my mouth. That's mindfulness of putting broccoli in my mouth. And then you recognize, okay, this broccoli is a gift. Miracle. Yeah, it's a miracle. And it's it's
3: a, not just potassium right. useful. <laughs> you
4: know, broccoli didn't just pop up out of the ground <laughs> like that. You know, we had to crossbreed it. I mean, broccoli is sweet and tender because of generations of people who put their love and care into it and
3: someone had to harvest it yeah. Yeah. and the people who had to be on their knees. So it's a kind of awareness. And there may be suffering in there too, human suffering. There may so be the injustice. Grat- and then you have that gratitude, comes yeah. very naturally when you recognize all that element mm. of other human beings, other condition. Mm. So it's a kind of reverence mm-hmm. for all things.
4: So we're training to transform our, our view. So mm-hmm. when I look at you, I also don't just see you, I see your parents. You know, I see your culture. And it's kind of like, is that my imagination? You know, or is it something more? Yeah. I, I don't really know. But yeah. I find that when I do that, I I activate my imagination. So I'm looking at a person, but I see a, a, a multitude, you know?
1: It's calling me back as you're speaking to that moment you were talking about in the blue zone, in that circle, mm-hmm. where that separation of everybody is just there as a delegate, as somebody with a dossier and yeah. a directive. They are actually, yeah, they are humans they with have, yeah. deep feeling yes. and reason and motivation to be there from themselves, yeah, from right. their beliefs and their, their parentage. They, and yeah, they, they
3: also have a family. They mm. have children. Mm. So I walk around with that in mind, You know that they're, they're here with love. So every one of us has that aspiration. And I think if we remind each other of that, that love, that meaningful aspiration that we all have, Mm. then I think that will help us connect to do what we need to do.
4: And concretely in these spaces, I think we can kind of reimagine how to set up the room. We were in this meeting that we were telling you about before when we asked everyone to hold hands. Mm -hmm. As we were holding hands, I kind of guided everyone. I said, look, I know we're in a white room. Mm -hmm. with white neon lights Mm -hmm. sitting around a white rectangular desk. yeah, (laughs) And, you know, it's all hard edges and straight lines. There isn't a single curve in here. And yet we are still on this beautiful jewel of Mother Earth floating in space, even though we've kind of hidden it from ourselves with these walls and these hard edges it's still there and Mm -hmm. you can feel it through your feet and you can feel it in your body. You know, these are heads of all the major charity organizations, you know, feeding into this cop and they represent collectively, I don't know how many millions or billions of people. And you're there with all of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their sorrow, but all of their joy. And somehow it it just felt more alive Mm -hmm. in the room. You see people's eyes brighten But then you know there's very concrete things you could do you could have a round table Mm. you know it it makes such a difference if everybody can see each other Mm -hmm. you could you know instead of only critiquing you know what we actually shared with the facilitator of that meeting afterwards was that well of course you have to invite that critique and they're all wonderful intelligent important critiques but why not start with an appreciation Mm. You know, because I was watching the two climate champions and they were holding their heads and kind of the forehead was almost touching the table. They were like getting buried with a pile of rocks, you know? And you just think these are the people that are representing you so you've got to look after them, yes, you yes. Like them. You to, <laughs> yeah you've got to nourish yeah. them you've got to yeah you got to thank them you got to say first like let me thank you for all of the efforts you've made to increase representation in this room mm-hmm. and yeah, you know mm-hmm. just appreciate and then of course make your critique mm-hmm. but balance please yeah. let's look we after each other flower yeah?
3: and uh, compost yes you know. Oh, yeah, no mud, no lotus. Exactly. Yes. exactly. We it also have to take care of the flower, you know, yeah. just keep throwing, you know, compost and it doesn't really uh, yeah. <laughs> process very well. Um, what do you come back to that sustains you in this
0: hard and draining work?
3: To see that we're, um, we all are inspired to change and help better the world. And everyone has an intention. So I must see beyond that. And that gives me that uh, trust. And seeing children, too, uh, seeing the young people uh, changing, being more open to each other, being more diverse. So I've seen not just here in COP, but just in general with people when I interact and they come to the monastery, the young generation is more inclusive, more open to different ways of being in the world, as well as like my niece. You know, she has a straw that she has in her backpack. And, you know, she's talking about one time use plastic mm-hmm. and encouraging my mom, her grandma, not to use that plastic. And that inspires me. Mm-hmm. When I was a child, I was never in the conversation. I was not even aware of that. You know, I grew up during the Reagan era. You know, more is better. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I see that directly with my niece. She's only eight, nine years old. And so for me, that gives, I, I hold her in my heart, my niece and I see that she's, her consciousness is expanding as well.
4: I think for me, uh, one thing that keeps me going is having time and space to be with my grief, my anxiety and sorrow about the situation that we are in. Because if I don't take care of that, then I start to burn up. You know, I, I can't continue. You know, there's, it's terrifying potentially what, what is coming. So I have to allow that. I can't cover that up, I have to feel it and I'm very grateful that I've been taught ways to, to do that, ways to metabolize that and when I give it space, when I'm able to hold it with love and tenderness and with the breathing, then what I feel is it moves, it doesn't stay stuck and it becomes compassion mm-hmm. and it becomes strength, mm-hmm. courage to stay in the game, mm-hmm. you know, to keep going.
1: Beautiful. Um, your- Life and practice is devoted to wisdom, the sharing of wisdom. And I wondered if there was one pearl that you might want to be able
3: to share with your younger self. Mm. Feel at home with yourself. Mm. Yeah, I was running a lot. I grew up in Los Angeles and I was constantly trying to prove that I, you know, I have a career, I have a life, I have a social life. I'm, you know, somebody. But I think I was not at home with who I was. I was full of, I was kind of angry, resentful, just at everything, you know, anything that I had uh, an excuse for. And I think the root of it is not feeling okay with myself. So I would say, you are enough,
5: Hmm.
3: you are okay. (laughs) And I think that's what I would have really benefited from. Someone told me to stop running, you are enough. I think uh, accepting ourselves and accepting my weaknesses, it humbles me and it also makes me go deeper. (laughs) So I grew up in a culture that was very, you know, a little superficial, it's outside the conversation. Mm. Like recently we were at a gathering and I felt very different. It was a social gathering. It had the atmosphere of like party and you know, it's in the nighttime. We usually don't do that as monastic, but I was standing there. And I remember myself back Mm. when I was in LA (laughs) And now, wow, I just feel comfortable and I, I don't have to prove anything. It was the most freeing experience and huh. I recognize how after 25 years, is it's, uh, it's still me. I'm aware of that, but I felt completely okay. I
4: think for me, if I look back at uh, my childhood, my sense is that the, the biggest wound I carried and I didn't know it was a wound was the doubt in my own capacity for goodness. I read, you know, The Selfish Gene when I was 15 and it terrified me. It made me feel like, what if that's all I am? You know, I'm just a kind of biological machine that's designed to maximize the chances of reproductive success and to just, just, just replicate these genes sort of ad infinitum. That terrified me. That was a cold and kind of meaningless world. Like maybe this is the truth. This is all there is. There's no love, there's no altruism. Everything is just, you know, games that we play to try to get social status and increase our reproductive success. That's terrifying. And that left me with a profound wound in my soul, I think, this sense that, yeah, it made me doubt even the goodness that I did feel and the kindness that I did express. So if I had a chance to speak to my younger self, I think I would just invite him to pay attention to all those other moments, those little moments of wonder those little moments of connection, of joy in music or in just being with a tree or with an insect or with a loved one and just to keep seeing the evidence of the goodness, of the beauty, of the wonder, of the kindness and to let that balance. Mm -hmm. I had to really suffer to learn this, Mm -hmm. to go through that, to find the place where I could stand solidly and say, yes, there is goodness, there is truth, there is beauty. I could only find that kind of at the bottom of my own suffering. So, you know, I would love to say that to my younger self, but I think he would be completely unconvinced. <laughs> and he has, yeah. still has to go through everything he has to go through. And that that's sounds, okay, yeah. too. That's okay, too. <laughs> yes.
3: That sounds real, huh? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank
0: you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Was, this time. is the last conversation I ever imagined
4: having a cough. I'm so <laughs> glad we did.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> I have drunk.
5: Nowhere to go, nothing
4: to do
3: No longer in a hurry
2: Happiness is here and now
4: I have drawn Somewhere to go,
3: something to do But I don't need to hurry <laughs> <Ooh>. Oh, wonderful! Ah. <laughs> <Aww.
2: laughs> Okay, so that was spectacular. Tom, let's talk about the emotion. (laughs) What did it feel like to have that discussion? Well, I mean, the thing that you can't get
0: across from listening to it is that they'd asked, they'd said, look, can you just we've got a really important meeting to get to. Can you just keep telling us and show me your wristwatch, Tom, as it keeps going so we know what time it is? And we kept going on and on and on. And I kept showing The brothers my wristwatch and they could see what time it was and they nodded and then we started hitting the point where they needed to keep going and they just kind of kind of it just all went out the window because we just got bowled along by this beautiful moment really it was just so lovely and i feel like just coming after some of the other conversations we had we'd spoken to like nearly 20 odd people over just over three days and you know some of it was pretty hardcore you know like shirley talking about her river dying And to have this just moment of just gentle, loving connection was, I was just really nice. (laughs) And especially after this long period of just seeing loads of people, but not really touching them and all of this kind Mm -hmm. of head kind of stuff to have that heart connection.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think the other thing that I really like about the monks is that there's that emotion, obviously, and that reconnection, you know, the head and the heart that you talk about. But there's also a precision about what they say. And there's such clear truths to take away. And the thing that I love (laughs) is there's no business like no business. Come on, that's a show tune that we now have between us. I mean, that will stay with me forever. Uh. In fact, that's what I think this episode should be called. There's no business like no business. And I don't know what, within that line, you can reorientate everything, can't Mm. you? You can find meaning for your whole trip to COP26 just to discover that I'm not enormously Mm. spiritual as a person I wouldn't describe myself as being and I often run away from this kind of content Mm. because I think it's going to be fluffy or not have anything for me and again it's like you and Sam are such a great bridge for me to access that conversation which I wouldn't always be able to access and there's no business like no business
0: yeah I mean that is such a great line we should just do like a musical a Christmas panto about consumerism called there's no business like no business
2: that's actually not a bad idea you (laughs) know
0: it's two days till Christmas and as we're choosing Christmas as our opportunity to give a present to the planet no matter what your denomination we are now going to ask every single person we've interviewed uh, what they would like for Christmas (laughs)
1: as you enter into your kind of elder stateswoman role, you are given the gift of all power. And with that power, you can manifest a gift to the world that could be small or it could be life-saving, global-saving. What is that gift that you are going to offer to planet Earth?
2: Empathy, I guess. Real mm. empathy to to hear and listen mm. and a little bit of... Yes, understanding our ancestors, who they were and where they came from. Yeah, empathy and a bit of historical understanding. This sounds really nerdy. I should give them some superpower, right? It's
1: empathy is super- a superpower.
2: Yeah. Yeah, empathy is a
5: superpower,
1: isn't it? It's coming up Christmas, and you have the opportunity to give a gift to the planet that can make a difference, make the planet feel better in some way. What is your superpower? No rules challenge this one, yeah. what's your gift?
5: Um I almost think another chance
4: at COVID-19, and that's gonna be a very strange answer, but COVID-19 was the perfect unifying cause. Mm. It was an external threat that everybody could hate, It was like having Martians come down, mm-hmm. and it was an unbelievable opportunity for the planet mm-hmm. to come together and mm-hmm. go against this common enemy that should have been this very uniting Effort, But it didn't play out that way. We just literally got that mm-hmm. wrong. And we didn't have to. Right.
3: And I wish we could sort of wake up and try it again.
0: Because we would have seen what we could do together rather than divided. That's mm. right. It's a great answer.
5: The ultimate present to the earth right now is for you to call your Member of Parliament or to write to them to let them know that you'll support them for making the hard choices or that there will be consequences for their inaction because this isn't any more about what we buy mm. it's about whether we have stronger laws and that will have the biggest impact if you're going to take one action that I mean, is no. a
0: hardcore Christmas card also yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the Christmas card Member yeah. of Parliament, <laughs> happy Christmas yeah. by the way I'm watching, I've got your back yeah. I'm on your back Fantastic. <laughs> Send it in a Christmas card with a Rudolph. The <laughs> I know, I can get really serious,
5: but it, it, no, 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 I no, want to no. say two things. Right now, this moment that we're living in, every yeah. ton of carbon matters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Every ton of carbon that doesn't go into the atmosphere literally will save lives. Mm-hmm. That's the moment that we're living in. Mm-hmm. But also, it's a tremendous opportunity. We're actually mm-hmm. living the moment where we're seeing society remake itself, we're mm-hmm. recreating industrial systems. It's so exciting to be a part of it. Yep. But... Being a part of it doesn't just mean saving up for an electric car or buying a different light bulb. Being a part of it means thinking yourself as a citizen yeah. and and calling those elected leaders to account. And, and, and that's hard, but it's absolutely critical. And it takes less than a minute to call your MP and leave a message on their machine. And that will matter.
0: What would you ask for the planet for Christmas? Oh, hey.
4: easy. Yeah? A hug.
5: A hug? Yeah.
3: Yes, a, Give hug. Each other a hug. Don't go buy anything. <laughs> you know, you, you try to resist that. Mm. Yes. Give, express your value, your love for your loved ones, and don't buy anything. That will be amazing. Let's start that revolution. Reframe all our holidays and not put it in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And that they are are fighting for your your mind and defining what is valuable. So please resist that. (laughs) And hug. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: Would you like a hug? Yes, Yes. let's have a hug.
1: (laughs) So of all the answers to that question, the one that I think surprised maybe all of us the most was Stan McChrystal's let's have COVID all over again. Tom, Lucy, what did you think to that as an answer?
2: Well, it's come true, I guess. So yeah, true. he's got his Christmas wish. He's the only one <laughs> He arranged
4: true. it.
0: What we are having cron- But unfortunately, we're not having it away in the way that he wanted as a way, as an opportunity to have like a consensus and bringing together. Like it was, it was an opportunity for people to work together that had been, has been squandered.
2: Yeah, the mistake he's made is that he thinks that um, leaders or those in power learn from their mistakes, which I can tell you from where we're sitting in the UK right now, seems not to be the case.
0: And I wonder if the, maybe he yeah. might get his wish if what we learned from the coronavirus pandemic is that we cannot just leave it to our politicians to safeguard our welfare. well-being when we're faced with international threats especially existential ones like climate change and the biodiversity crisis
1: I mean that feeds into exactly what Zepra was saying about having your voice heard and speaking to your MP and speaking out what did you think to Zepra's response here guys
2: really good and then I noticed looking on Instagram and I saw Jonah Hill on the Late Show in America, or Stephen Colbert or something, shouting out for everyone to do that and putting the number up for the climate bill, which I thought was great. And I, I think it's such an easy message, but it can't be said enough.
1: So, Lucy, what is your gift?
2: Um, Ban fossil fuel subsidies. <sighs> Obviously. Great. Great answer. But I want something else. And that is the end of Bolsonaro which would be a gift for the planet.
0: Would you like to describe how you'd like him to end?
2: No, because I don't want to be a suspect if anything would happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd like the end of the Bolsonaro regime, which is yeah. incredibly destructive to the planet yeah. and you know, beyond heartbreaking, especially for mm. indigenous communities in Brazil. So yeah, that's what I would like. Sam? What would you like for Christmas?
1: So obviously hearing all these amazing and really diverse answers of what the big gift could be, and Lucy, I loved yours, but actually my gift for the planet is that we actually have a complete radical shift on our relationship to medicine, plant and fungal medicine, that it becomes standard practice for people all around the world to embrace the holistic healthy use of psilocybin mushrooms and that we have this great awakening to the powers and the beauty and the spirituality of nature and we have this total kind of global conversion of people laying down their Instagram accounts and their you know shopping bags and their credit cards and going into a place of nature devotion.
2: Whoa. I was not expecting that. Really? I thought that was going to be... Of course
1: he's going to go for that.
2: I mean, what's really funny is that that is basically
0: the same as mine, but without the medicine. Like, So mine mine was going to be wonder, you know, the gift to connect with what is here on this planet, to experience wonder and all the other profound things that you feel when you're not looking at your phones and attached to technology. Happy Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Ah, so there we have it. We are at the end of this season's rainbow. It's been a funny old series. I'm so glad that Lucy left and then came back. And because of that, we got to experience the wonder of Sam Lee too. Who knows what series three will be like. I love the sort of the chaos that we've now introduced by (laughs) just kind of owning this.
1: Should we invite somebody else?
0: Yeah, it could be like a kind of amoeba.
1: Just Like every series we gather another person to present with us. (laughs) Well, Tom, I must say, one of the things about this that I've loved the most, which is about this whole listening thing, and I will take away myself from being part of this, which is the just the spending an hour asking somebody about their life and their work, and being completely in service to their story, not the kind of, oh, but I do this and I do that, but just giving your full mm-hmm. attention, and what that is as a privilege into someone's life. I want to do that all the time, not with microphones, because I think it's a real gift.
2: Well, thank you both for such an enriching series. I mean, you know, I've met so Mm. many different people through this, through listening to them. And thank you for bringing all of these stories to us, because it has been epic. It's the, the richness, the content, the fun, the emotion. It has been a beautiful experience. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Happy Happy Christmas. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Lucy. (laughs) Thank you, love. And we'll see you next time. Hello, it's Lucy. I've got a postscript for you because I thought you'd like to know this very nice piece of news to head off into the holidays with some proper festive cheer. So if you are an enthusiast of So Hot right now, you might remember that we ended last season, season one, when Tom and I went to Falmouth University and we passed the mic to students and we asked them what they needed and wanted to tell the stories about the climate and nature crisis that they needed to tell. Um, Not that surprisingly, some of them said they wanted more funding. A listener of So Hot Right Now stepped forward and has been so brilliant and has funded a couple of major projects for Falmouth University. Those films, one of them is about sea kelp, of which I'm very enthusiastic, are now ready I think and hopefully we can talk about them next season but perhaps the even greater news is that that listener has gone on to fund projects again for the class of 2022 so applications have just opened at Falmouth University so I wanted to share that with you because Tom and myself and now Sam we are so committed as you know to moving this story forward and really getting the next generation of storytellers what they need to do their jobs and i know you are too so that's just a bit of excitement to send you off into the holidays and well let's reconvene in 2022 and you know create some more magic stroke mayhem Um, i'll see you then lots of love
1: Thank you very much to our guests today on this show, as well as all you lovely listeners. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Tell
0: your friends, give us a rating. It'll cheer us up and encourage us.
1: You can follow us on social media at SoHotPod. You can also follow me, Sam Lee, at Sam Lee Song. And you can follow me, can't you, Sam? At Tom Mustill. A huge thanks to Arctic Base Camp for providing home and food and sustenance while we were up in COP.
0: Of course, special thanks to Carl Burkhardt and his team at One Earth, without whom we wouldn't have been able to do this series. Once again, One Earth is a philanthropic organisation working to accelerate collective action to limit global average temperature rise to 1.5C. Find out more at One Earth. So Hot Right Now was hosted by me, Tom Mustill. And me, Sam Lee. It was produced by Picture Zero Productions
1: and Podmonkey.
0: This episode was recorded by Jack Fillimore on the streets of Glasgow and recorded by James Hay from the comfort of his own home.
1: And also in Soho Radio Studios in London. The series producer is Lindsay. Say hi, Lindsay! Hey. And the executive producers are Matt and Scott at PodMonkey. And also the wonderful Burgess Haycock at Picture Zero.